second hour of the David Glenn Show. David Glenn, on this Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, off discovering new lands, they're doing it in a very polite and chill way. Hey, or he's probably at home, or maybe on the golf course. Scott Hamilton filling in for DG. Darren Vaught, behind the glass, intern Will keeping this thing together. Intern Will, the glue. He came in, he fixed this one computer, he brought me a rundown. I still don't have a Danish or anything, that would've been nice. I had a banana earlier, before the Houston Nut interview. And I'm sure Darren or Will will have that Houston Nut interview sliced up and put somewhere for consumption later today. It's really eye-opening and educational when you can speak to a coach at that level about offense. You know, I mean, he, he was getting into some good X's and O's stuff. And, and I like that. I like the inside, well, I hate to say inside baseball, I guess inside football. I really enjoy that aspect of it because what's going on right now in the world of football is fascinating with regards to the various schemes. The days of the I formation, the wishbone, shock, I mean, even, even like a run and shoot, they're gone, man. And you look at just how spread out the field is, and people talk about how the game, they play the game vertically and stretching the field and all that. No, you stretch it horizontally. You create wide gaps and try to create levels. That's why I think Tua Tagliavoa. Tagliavoa. How did how did our friend Eli Gold no, tell us? No, no, yeah, you're butchering it. Tagliavoa. Nope, no. Tonga Vailoa. Tonga Vailoa. Tonga Vailoa. Tua. Tua. Tonga Vailoa. Tua. 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 Uh, it's Tua. Just call him Tua. Madonna. Tua. Sting. Just call him Tua. Bono. Tua. That's Either fine. way. For purposes of today's you know, program, the remaining two hours of this program, <laughs> Tua is fine. It will suffice. I think he will never be on this show when he becomes a professional because I butchered his name. DG, you ruined I apologize. It. Watch him be the next quarterback of the Panthers, and then he never <laughs> comes on because this clown that filled in one day in October of 2019 butchered his name. Either way, I digress. He is unbelievable at dropping, and they talk about how good he is with the slants, and that's Alabama's run game and so on. He is unbelievable at that space between the linebackers and the, and the safeties. It's like a 15 to 22-yard gap that he's absolutely unbelievable at putting that ball into. It, it, it's, I don't know, I think it's unprecedented, his accuracy in that level, that area. And they get big chunk plays out of that. Tua's accuracy is crazy good. But that's kind of the norm now in college football. We talk about Joe Burrow, 80% going into week eight. That's unbelievable. And it's not like he's playing high school teams or he's playing Division II teams or even Group of Five teams. He's doing it against elite Power Five programs. I credit the seven-on-seven seven camps. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And that's basically where the game's going, seven-on-seven. Seven. They go out there year-round, and they perfect the art of playing quarterback and playing receiver. That's how it works, man. Seven on seven. When's the last time you saw a three-step drop, Darren, in college football? A five-step drop. Any kind of drop because they're always shotgun or pistol. It's gone, man. It's gone the way of the wishbone, the wing tee. It's gone. That's a shame, too. I'm old, man. I'm old. I remember Oklahoma with the bone. I'm gone, man. You know, Wake Forest. Is Wake Forest the second-best team in the conference? I know they lost to Louisville over the weekend, 62 to 50. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that score, 62 to 59. Are they the second best team in the conference? I'm going to ask Andrea Adelson that 
top of the next hour she covers the acc so so well for espn we got peter burns of the sec network he's also an espn radio host on sirius xm radio We've got him joining us in about 25 minutes nicole arback joins us at 2 30 from the athletic big 10 network and the big 10 might be the deepest conference in the country now I, I, I know that's heresy in these parts, but it might be the deepest conference in the country. You don't you have Ohio State, and then you have Wisconsin, and then the rest of them are pretty darn competitive. And, and you look at the improvements they've made across the board in facilities, even places like Illinois that's struggling, which way more than I expected them to, they've got wonderful facilities. Nebraska, wonderful facilities. I'm going to ask her if I am onto something there. I think the most entertaining conference is the Pac-12. I love Pac-12 after dark. I love it, man. I like getting some Mike Leach fixed. You never know what he's going to say. I like watching Oregon play. I like watching Washington play, Colorado, all those. And, of course, the circus that is perpetually circling around Southern Cal Trojans, which our friend Carol L. Fult from North Carolina, she's now the head honcho out there. She's got to hire an AD and presumably, eventually, Head coach, because Clay Helton's damn mad walking. He ain't going to be the coach next year. Carol Fult, though, goes from UNC to Southern Cal. I wonder how that vibe's working out. We'll have to call call some of the Trojans out there. Because Lynn Swan resigned as the athletic director, which he was going to get fired, and she, she came out and said, yeah, we were going we were, we were to reorganize, which means, yeah, we were going to fire him. And who can blame her? She wants you you got to get your own people in place. Because whoever's going to be the AD is going to bring in his own coach. It's just trickle-down effect. Goes from the president to the AD to the coach. Clay Helton, keep collecting that check while you can. Maybe win a game or two along the way. And get ready to uh, find a soft landing. By the way, Darren, it was 10 years ago today, I do believe. 10 years ago today that Tennessee had a field goal blocked that would have beaten Alabama. How times have changed. One blocked field goal away from beating Alabama, and it would have been a signature win for a, a coach named Joey Freshwater, well, Lane Kiffin. God bless him. I want Lane Kiffin to coach in the ACC so bad, just so we can get our Lane Kiffin fix. You ever follow him on Twitter? Yes. Dude, he's great. I do. That's where I got that information, because Tennessee tweeted it out, and he evidently follows Tennessee football still. God bless Lane Kiffin. Well, I mean, th didn't they name a sewage plant in Knoxville, Knoxville, like on, on campus after him? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the Lane Kiffin Sewage Center? God, that's a mess, isn't it? <laughs> that is. And here's the thing, though, Darren. They talk about how bad the program's been since Philip Fulmer left. I'm using air quotes. Resigned. Dude, it was already trending down. That's why he, he was run out. They bring in Lane Kiffin. They're pretty good. And then he goes, peace out. I'm going back to chill in Southern California. Ever since then, Tennessee has been a smoking fire. It's like a dumpster fire. It's a, it's a burning tire is what it is. It's all smelly and rubbery and noxious. It's just awful. Tennessee is bad. Now, they did get a good win. Well, they got a win. I'm not going to say a good win. Mississippi State's not that. <laughs> but they got a win. That's, that's improvement. But now that place, I mean, you go back to the Greg Schiano stuff, and that was troubling. Then they offered a leech, and Mike Leach ain't down for that vibe. He's like, oh, no, 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 y'all are wag jobs. Y'all organizing on Twitter. I'm going to stay out here on the left coast and write a book about pirates, which he did. 
He wrote a book about Blackbeard or something, didn't he? Mike Leach. I love Mike Leach. Dude, he did. He wrote a book, had it published. Mike Leach wrote a book about, about a pirate. I want to say it was Blackbeard. I want to hang out with him so bad. Is there any coach in the ACC comparable to Mike Leach? Who has the biggest personality of all the coaches in the ACC? Maybe that's the question. I mean, take Cut out of the conversation because he serves as that fatherly figure. And, he, you know, and he's a great guy to talk to and you learn a lot. But there's no coach that I can think of off the top of my head in the conference that's going to just delight the masses, charm the people the way Mike Leach does, or not even charm them, perplex them, confuse them. Nothing else is going to entertain them. There's nobody in the conference like that. Dabo's Dabo, and he's got his old little, you know, stick going where he's cool, and, you know, he's, oh, yeah, we like Dabo, but he's not out there. There's not a Steve Spurrier type that's just going to say what he wants, when he wants, about who he wants. That's not out there. There's not even a Nick Saban. There's not even a Nick Saban type that just bullies his way through everything, and what he says is the gospel, how dare you challenge it, you have no access I'm not saying they're bad guys. I'm just saying there are no characters. At least back in the day, we had Bobby Bowden. Who do we have? Chuck Amato. Chuck, Chuck. Chuck was great. We don't have anybody like that. Who do we? Fedora was, well, Fedora was, Fedora was pretty good because you never know what he was going to say. I, 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 miss, I miss Fedora. I know the UNC people probably don't miss him too much, but I, I miss Larry. I, I, I think a CTE is a myth or something. What do you say? Something like Jesus God. Wasn't quite that. That's a that is a pretty drastic it's generalization, football. but something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Got, wow, there's no correlation. Did you look up the Mike Leach book? So he wrote a book about the Apache warrior Geronimo. That's it. But he also uses pirate analogies in his his coaching. Crap, that's even better, man. Geronimo. <laughs> He wrote a book about Geronimo. Now, is he Native American, to my knowledge? No. Does he hail from areas that are predominantly have a large Native American population? I presume not. But he writes a book about Geronimo. That is, that's the most Mike Leach thing ever. We need Mike Leach in the ACC. I'm, if, if, if there's a coaching change in the conference this year, I'm going to start a grassroots campaign to bring the Pirate here to the Atlantic Coast Conference. But it'd be my luck he gets stuck in, like, Pittsburgh or Boston College and we don't really get to enjoy him year-round, as if he were here, you know, in the southern parts of the, of the country. Hey, maybe Virginia Tech. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Best and worst of the weekend, 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Here's a fly ball into right. Back at the wall. This game is over. Joe Buck on the call. Joe Buck. Carlos Correa hits a walk-off home run against the New York Yankees American League Championship Series. Now tied at one game apiece. Is there anything Joe Buck doesn't call? NBA? I guess NBA. Yeah, he doesn't really do basketball. You know, I, I didn't like him for a long time. 
I don't know him. I just didn't like him. But he's really good, man. I mean, he's really good. And I, I, I didn't know this until a couple of weeks ago. What was he, like 25 when he started doing NFL? That's crazy. Oh, he was the youngest guy to ever do a national TV World Series game at like 25 or 26. That's unbelievable. What am I doing? I'm way past 25. I'm filling in for <laughs> David Glenn. God bless his heart. On Columbus Day. I'm not going to knock it, man. It's a pretty good gig. Pretty good gig. It's the best and the worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761. I'm going to give you my worst of the weekend, Darren. European football. I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about the NFL going to Europe. I don't like it, man. I don't see the point. I don't see the point. It's, a, it's an exhibition, but it counts. And I, what is it? Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What is that? What happened to Wembley Stadium? Live Aid and all that. What is Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Is that a company? Is that like the 1000bulbs.com? What is Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? You know those Spurs? It's an English Premier League team. Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, Tottenham Hotspur, otherwise Hotspur. known as Spurs. It's the it's the English it's the EPL team. They're a big deal. That actually is a newly renovated stadium. So is it like the Spurs, like the San Antonio Spurs? No. Then what is what is it then? I don't. It's an EPL team, what? a very prominent one, Scott. That's actually where DG when he took his family oh, to London no, in don't. August. That's where they saw a match. Oh God, DG is way more continental and sophisticated than I am. I'm sure he had fish and chips and Earl Grey and whatever they do. Tot Tottenham. 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 Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Not Hotspur. Hotspur. Yeah. Stadium. I know stadium. <laughs> I know. You know, it looked cool. I mean, I, I will say that. It looked cool. You know what I like? I like the soccer stadium where the Chargers are playing. I watched that last night against the Steelers. I dig that whole vibe, man. Real intimate. I know it's only, what, 35,000 people? I like it. I thought it was cool. I know they're going to move into the uh, the big, fantastic place just outside of L.A., but I kind of like that. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Anyway, that's my worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761. Hold on. Should we dig it. deeper here? Should, what what, what, what is there not get, to get? First of all, you're, you're hurting your core by having the game at 930. Look, dude, I'm going to be real candid with you. You should be getting ready for church at 930 on Sunday. NFL comes after church. That's just how it is. It's just how it is. No, you got to get up at 9.30 so I can watch Carolina play the Bucks at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I don't even know what it's still on. What is a spur? It's like on a boot, like the San Antonio Spurs. Is it like a bone spur? What is a, what is a spur? Could be many things. I, I, see, I need clarity, man. So, yeah, I don't like that. It throws the schedule out of whack, completely out of whack. Now, it's a home game for the Bucks. okay? <laughs> Wait, how do you figure? That's it goes down as a home game for them. Not like oh, okay, you're saying technically, yeah, it's, a home it's game one of the their home okay. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got robbed of that. Now they're off this week, the Panthers and the Bucks, and then they're on the road. They don't play because because I listened. Gene Deckerhoff, dude, one of the goats, voice of the Florida State Seminoles, also does Buccaneers football. I listened on Sirius XM to Gene Deckerhoff. And he's talking about how they don't have another home game till like, November. Well, guess what? Neither do the Panthers. <laughs> They're off next week. Then they go to San Francisco, which might as well be going to London. About the same distance. It's not much, not much closer, is it? Until they return home to play the Titans on November 3rd. I just don't like it. 
I just don't like it. And there's only one team left that hasn't gone over there. Do you know which one? The Dallas Cowboys, right? It is the Green Bay Packers. No, I didn't think the Cowboys had been over. Well, maybe they're playing the Packers. Maybe. It says Packers to be last NFL team not to have played a regular season game abroad. Now, didn't the Cowboys go to Mexico City? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was speaking specifically London. I think the Packers and the Cowboys are two of just a few that haven't been to London. I'm looking at it now. It wouldn't surprise me that one of the games in Mexico City would have included the Cowboys. That would have made, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just don't, I just don't see the value of it, man. I don't see the value. Actually, they played a game, the Oilers. Oh, wow, 1994 against the Oilers. I just don't see, I don't see the trade-off. I mean, is the NFL eventually going to expand there? Is it all about selling jerseys in Spain and Germany and France? Is, is, is it about global branding? They've already got it. It's the NFL. It's bigger than U.S. Steel. I just I don't see the value of it. It's a pain in the rear, I I'm, I'm, uh, presume, for, for the people at the NFL Network and all the other entities that go and cover it hard logistically a nightmare I, I just don't see the value of it so that's my worst of the weekend take it deal I, with it i mean i read it as a reason to go to london that you otherwise would not have an experience a part of the world that maybe a lot of nfl and panthers employees have not experienced at the price of inconveniencing the fan no the fan some most most of the feedback i saw from fans love the 930 kick oh Hey, the rest of your day. They're heathens. and need to be in church. <laughs> Get ready for church, man. That's another topic for another sure. day. Perhaps another channel, another station. I might have to go talk that story. But I just don't, I don't like it. I don't see the value of it. I don't see the value. I don't. Now, the NBA is a different breed of cat because it has actually expanded into Canada, which is still North America. I get it. But it is international technically. And basketball, I think they, they play professional basketball in Europe, all over Europe, Asia, everywhere there's professional basketball. Nowhere else is there professional American football. And there's never going to be. Are they going to put the Jacksonville Jaguars in Paris? I don't know as much as, as far as relocation of a current NFL team is concerned. I don't, I don't know how real of a possibility that is. But, I mean, there could definitely be a reiteration of NFL Europe that comes out of this, right? You remember NFL Europe? I remember it way better than you do. Yes, Probably. I do. Probably. I had some teammates that played over there. They loved it, man. It was like being on spring break in Europe, <laughs> getting paid to play football and hang out and drink beer all day. It was great. But I don't see it ever. Look, you can't win against soccer in Europe. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. It's, it's like trying to take on the NFL here on Sunday. You can't win, dude. You can't win. That's why NASCAR is having to continue to reinvent itself. That's why golf has done everything it's done to its schedule. It, you can't win it. And you go to Europe, you're not going to win against soccer. And NFL Europe was cool because I like football year-round. I'll watch it. But it's never going to be huge. And it's, it, it, what it was, its purpose was to develop players, not to be successful franchises. And they're taking the successful franchises – throwing their schedule off kilter and dropping them in, parachuting them into these cities, London. And I don't see the benefit other than to perhaps, perhaps ignite a little interest in the sport so that when they take it back at its base level, that being a farm team of sorts, that it might be more successful. I don't know. They know American football there. They get the games on TV. I don't see the benefit of, and, and they only do it in London, right? 
Are they playing in Paris? Are they playing in Berlin? Madrid? You see, that's, that's a small part. That's not even the mainland continent. I don't get it. It's my worst of the weekend. What's your worst of the weekend? What's your best? Let's be positive. Best and worst of the there weekend. There we go. There 1 we go, Scott. Get off my lawn. 1-800-849-2761. Best of the weekend has to be the Panthers winning a fourth straight game. Now four and two. Kyle Allen yet to toss an interception. That is outstanding. Our buddy Scott Satterfield keeps winning at Louisville, though at the expense of the Wake Forest Deacons. Appalachian State now in the top 25 because Scott Satterfield beat Wake Forest, knocked them out, put App in. Ba-ba-ba, chain reaction. We'll call it the Satterfield triple whammy. I got that actually in a text. That was pretty good. I, I Best of the weekend, LSU. Worst of the weekend, actually worst of Monday, 1,000bulbs.com, 500 out of Talladega. It's worst name for a race I can imagine. That's going to start, though. Would it be the green flag if it's a – I guess it's the green flag, even though it's the start of the second stage. Yeah. It's going to happen at 2 o'clock on NBC Sports Network. we got Peter Burns, SEC Network, ESPN Radio, joining us in about five minutes. And I'm, I'm going to get it. First of all, I'm going to ask his question. The question that I asked Houston Nutt, the head coach formerly of Arkansas and Ole Miss. I want to get Peter's top four teams. I'm going to ask him if Kirby Smart is just too daggone stubborn for his own good. And I want to get his take on the Heisman. There's a lot of viable candidates out there for the Heisman Trophy, the most iconic individual award in all of sports. And I've gone on national television and said that. And I'll stick by it, Darren. I can't give you who my frontrunners are for the Heisman, but I want to know who Peter Burns's are. And I also want to ask him his thoughts on should they expand the playoff. People keep talking about that since we started it. Should it go to eight teams? I have a theory that six is the magic number. We'll see if Peter Burns of ESPN Radio and the SEC Network agrees. And also going to run this by him. Scheduling in the Southeastern Conference. The way the schedule sets up, Missouri could be in Atlanta in December playing for the championship because their alternates over in the West. You have to play two teams each year from the other division. <laughs> one of them's Arkansas. I think the other one might be Ole Miss. Missouri's got a pretty clear path to possibly winning the SEC East if it beats Georgia or Florida. We'll see if Peter Burns agrees. He's joining us in a few minutes. You're listening to The David Glenn Show on Monday. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. funky on the david glenn show wasn't that an anchorman i think that i think that was an anchorman anchorman or was it uh for whatever reason you know the starsky and hutch remake with owen wilson and ben stiller that's the one that came to mind i don't know exactly where this was it might have been in both either way i'm getting down with it I bet our friend uh, from the SEC Network and ESPN Radio is down with it. Peter Burns, you you down with that? I feel like Ron Burgundy would be doing curls in his office <laughs> to impress uh, Veronica Corningstone to that song, right? It feels like that's, that's the proper thing Burgundy would do. I, I, I can't move my arm because I did so many. 
So many. The burn is so deep. It's so deep. Uh, deep burn. <laughs> I, you know, in, in the hierarchy of Will Ferrell movies, that is my absolute unquestioned number one. Wedding Crashers doesn't count. He doesn't have enough screen time, even though he owns it. I I, I love Anchorman. I, I, real quick, Peter Burns, give me your top three Will Ferrell movies. Uh, I tell you what, Anchorman, Anchorman's probably number one because it was his whole own vehicle, and it's just so over the top. But old school, when he's Frank the Tank, it's just so understated. And I think, like, like, like Will Ferrell's, like, best when he's on his secondary role, right? So, like, I, I don't even feel like he's best when it's, like, his movie. Um, Step Brothers, I think, was – I think that he was in Step Brothers as well, too. So that was, that was decent. But I'm still – I think I put old school Frank the Tank as my favorite character he ever played. Well, your, your credibility now is a little questionable because I think he was in Step Brothers. God, he was awesome. He was awesome in Step I, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, don't touch my jump set. I, I thought that's what it was. But listen, I, mean, I was watching so much college football this weekend, my brain is fried. You know, and that's, that's what it is. All right. Well, fair enough. Peter Burns, SEC Network. He's joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN. And, Peter, I've, I've got to ask you this question. I watched the LSU Tigers playing a pretty good Florida team, a much better Florida team than I had anticipated at the start of the season, especially when Felipe Franks went down. What was your biggest takeaway from that game? I came away from it thinking LSU might be the best team in the country. Yeah, that the offense is really unstoppable. I mean, that was as, as good of a Florida defense as we've seen, even though Jonathan Grenard was not 100% and, and Zuniga did not play um, the entire game, or in fact, uh, you know, after the ankle injury, that still they knew that they were going to try to, you know, have have some kind of issues or difficulties when it came down to it. And sure enough, they were they were frankly incredible. What twenty one of twenty four? He had as many incompletions as touchdown passes, and it just continues to look easy. And the other takeaway is that is it does it really matter if LSU's defense is not great? And I, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, best defense is their offense because they're basically saying, hey, it doesn't matter if we can't stop you, you can't stop us. And if you trip yourself up, you're not going to run as consistent of an offense or efficient of an offense as we do. Um, and so guess what? That we'll, just, we'll just hold serve and just win these games, whatever the final score may be. You know, and, and that, was, that leads me to my best takeaway overall from the weekend and, and that Oklahoma – that's how Oklahoma got into the playoff in years past, by playing tennis, basically, by holding serve with its offense. But now Oklahoma, Oklahoma's got a defense. And, Peter, I, I say this. You don't need a good defense. You just need good enough. Just make a stop here, a stop there, maybe get a turnover, and you can, you can be in that final four. Well, and, and that's the thing. And that's what coaches are understanding. That's why it's difficult to watch Michigan or Penn State football and even sometimes Clemson so far this year when they've struggled a little bit is the fact that they're good, but they don't have that second level. Now, Clemson's going to get there eventually. I mean, Trevor's just too good of a quarterback not to get there. But there's, I think in college football right now, there's sprinters and joggers. And we learned that if you jog in a game, you can get beat. Ask the Georgia Bulldogs. They've been jogging for a couple of weeks, and it, and it caught them against South Carolina. But the sprinters are Ohio State. They are Oklahoma, LSU, Alabama. They just have a different speed to them. And here's the deal. LSU brought good defense in the second half. They made some adjustments, and that ended up being the, the difference in the game. Oklahoma did it by bringing in Alex Grinch as a defensive coordinator. 
And and even Alabama, they're just so dang, dang young. I think they do have some playmakers. That's why they ended up beating A&M and getting to Kellen Mond five times. You know, I, we, we had Houston Nutt on earlier in the program, and we were talking about Georgia. And I, you know, I said Kirby Smart was just too stubborn to get out of his own way. He was Nick Saban a few years ago before King Nick realized he needed a mobile quarterback. He needed to spread things out. But, but I'm also going to say this, and Peter, I want your take. The atmosphere for that South Carolina game, it was just kind of ho-hum. I mean, I know those are bordering states, and that's a long-time rivalry, and it's usually a pretty good game, but it was a noon kickoff. And you look at the atmosphere that was at that stadium a few weeks ago when Notre Dame came to town. I, I don't think the U.S. Army could have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs that night. And I, I so I don't want to put it all on Kirby, but I kind of do. Does that make sense? That Just the whole environment just seemed kind of blah. Well, I'll tell you this. That's the impressive thing of what Nick Saban has done at Alabama. They don't have those games, right? Now, they got beat by Clemson 44-16. They got whooped last year at the national championship. But in games in which they are a 20-point under, you know, favorite, they rarely have that game where they're not up or they don't execute. And I felt like that's a credit to what Alabama does each and every week. Ed Ogeron's done that with his LSU team. But Kirby, for whatever reason, last year, they were, they were a better team than LSU, and he had a couple of bad mistakes and cost them the game coaching-wise. Probably cost them the SEC championship last year, last, last year uh, in Atlanta. And, again, this has got to be frustrating because – Kirby Smart's an unbelievable recruiter, arguably the best recruiter in all of college football right now, but the game management is just not there. And, and, I mean, Dan Mullen, my goodness, Dan Mullen called a masterpiece of a game to keep that thing closed against LSU. If you could combine Dan Mullen's play calling and game management with Kirby's recruiting, Oh, my gosh, that'd be the best of all every world out there in college football. Hey, well, what's funny is Dan Mullen will tell you he called a masterful game, too, so there's no uh... – Dan Mullen loves himself some Dan Mullen. But you know what? It's also Dan Mullen has fun. Yeah. I think Dan Mullen has gone out there and said, guys, football's fun, man. You know, let's go, let's go have a good time. You grew up playing pop water ball. Go out there. You're good enough to play. Go play. And I've been around Kirby practices, and they are just every single practice, like the fifth practice of – March 14th feels like the national championship game, and I think they're just wound a little tight, and it leads to games like that. Is, is that the Saban factor coming in, being a protege of Nick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're always a product of your upbringing, right? I mean, if you, you know, if, if your parents act a certain way, you're going to traditionally act a certain way, and, it, you know, if the coaching tree comes from Nick Saban, it's the same thing as Jeremy Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee came from Nick Saban's job, you know, place of coaching these car guys hard and really kind of not riding them rough, but expecting a lot. And he did that at Tennessee. And a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 you didn't recruit me, coach. I ain't, I ain't up for this. And that's why they were discombobulated. And Nigel Warrior at Tennessee this week said, hey, the coaches came to us and said, man, let's just go out and have some fun and pretend it's pop water football and play ball. And guess what? They did. They finally had that good win against Mississippi State. So Again, I, I think Kirby just almost just needs to relax a little bit, man, because that, that team just plays so tight sometimes. My biggest beef with Kirby Smart, and our listeners will, will remember me saying this, is that his visor game is off. It looks like Nancy Lopez's visor. I, I'm just it, – it, It's an LPGA visor, <laughs> but then again, I don't care what the hell you wear whenever you recruit like that. You just got to make sure that, you know, that visor fits when it comes to making the big boy decisions on a, on a college football Saturday. We're joined by Peter Burns, SEC Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter Burns ESPN. And, Peter, I'm, I'm looking at the schedules 
and I'm looking at the standings, and I see Missouri atop the SEC East, and then I look ahead at Missouri's schedule, and yeah, they've got Florida, yeah, they've got Georgia, but beat one or both of those teams, and then you only have Arkansas and Ole Miss coming out of the West. My, my point being to leading to this question, should they revamp the crossover schedules? Because it seems to me that Missouri, by having Arkansas out of the West, by having Ole Miss out of the West, has a tremendous yeah. advantage over everybody. Well, that's why Dory, Chris Doring is my co-host on SEC this morning on our SiriusXM show, and, and we said at the beginning of the year that Missouri was going to be either 6-1 and one or, or you know 7-0 and oh going into the Georgia game in a couple of weeks because of that schedule. You're, you're, it's a long-winded way of saying, yes, they should revamp you know, the crossovers because it's not fair that you know, the Tennessees get the Alabamas of the world every year and Florida gets LSU while other teams get you know, a little bit easier competition, but it ain't going to change. Nothing's going to change until the college football playoff change. Uh, I would prefer them, instead of going to two rivals, I would prefer them going to three and have, have kind of a pod system. Get rid of the divisions. Everybody plays uh, nine conference games. They play three that they're just permanent divisions, and then they always kind of rotate. And that way we see a little bit more mixture. But I will tell you this, that none of that's going to change until whatever this college football playoff uh, contract ends. And I eventually think it expands like in 2024. So you ain't going to see any scheduling changes in pro until probably then. All right, Peter, before we let you go, give me your top four teams if you were the grand poobah right now for the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, I'd flip LSU and Alabama right now. In fact, I'd probably have LSU one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, uh, and then Oklahoma four. But, I mean, honestly, and Wisconsin's right there. I mean, I can throw any five, and I can argue to the death that all of them deserve to have even actually number one vote. Uh, it's kind of just that fall off after there to where you see, okay, where do you put Clemson? The only reason why I say that about Clemson is simply for the fact that they're the only one who really had a scare going against, you know, an, an, an okay North Carolina team. So the good news is the AP vote, you know, polls don't mean jack squat right now. We got four weeks until college football playoffs are here at least those rankings, and that's the only ones that really matter. Well, the, I mean, I've said it before, the AP poll, and I've been a long-time AP voter, is only there to set the perception. There hasn't been an unranked team in the preseason AP poll in the national championship since, I think, 1990-91, Georgia Tech. So you're right, it's just there to set the perception, but you need that perception going in so we at least have a starting point. The biggest thing I take from your answer, though, Peter, is that you had a lot of teams you can name, and it's wonderful because going into the year, it was Clemson and Bama and everybody else. The, the gap was two miles hey, wide. Amen. Amen. I mean, the fact that we're starting to see a little parity among the super yachts of the marina is pretty good. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then guess what? There's still chaos that can rain. I, I had Will Muschamp on my show this morning, and he talked about that going, man, you know, we were banged up. There's no reason why we should win on the third string quarterback. But guess what? In this conference, there's talented players, and when you fall asleep at the wheel, somebody can grab uh, and bite you. So hey, it's going to be a hell of a season going forward. And uh, like I said, I need to get some more of that funky music because that's, uh, that's put me in a good mood all day long here that you started off with. Well, I'm a Yacht Rock guy. I've been on a Yacht Rock kick for a few months, so maybe Darren can pull up some Steely Dan or Doobie Brothers for you. I'm all in on that. I want, I want the Yacht from Succession last time. If you watch HBO Succession, <laughs> no. it's an incredible show. And, uh, yeah, that yacht is, uh, is, is impressive, to say the least. I like it. He's from the SEC Network, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM. You can follow him on Twitter, at Peter Burns ESPN. Peter, let's get together soon. Hey, let's do it soon. Bye, uh boys.
All righty, brother. Appreciate it. It's Peter Burns of the SEC Network, and you heard him. You heard him. He gave us his top four. LSU threw Ohio State in at number two, Bama three, Oklahoma four, and he was giving a shout-out to Wisconsin. Much respect for that. But we all know, as much as I love, as much as I love Jonathan Taylor and everything going on at Wisconsin, you can't keep up. I, I know their defense is otherworldly, but I don't think at the end of the day, even the most elite defense, and I'm a defensive guy, even the most elite defense can keep it up snap after snap after snap against these relentless offenses that we're seeing in Baton Rouge, that we're seeing in Norman. Yes, even Tuscaloosa and Columbus, Ohio. At the end of the day, I don't think the defenses can keep up. And it goes back to my saying, your defense doesn't have to be good, just good enough. Best and worst of the weekend, 1-800-849-2761. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on The David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours, okay? <laughs> Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Learn to work the Everybody loves Steely Dan, Darren. Who doesn't like Steely Dan? Now, here's the best part. You ready? The winners in the world. Alabama, the Crimson Tide. I've got the Deacon Blues. There you go. Call me Deacon. You know what? They shouldn't have the Blues, though. Yeah, they lost. 62 to 59. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that score. 62 to 59 to Louisville. But it's the first loss. They're 5 and 1. 5 and 1. Wake Forest is 5 and 1. Now number 22 in the AP poll. They dropped some spots. But listen to this. They ran 102 plays. 102 plays. 688 total yards. Got those 59. You know, that, that, that comes out to every 16.4 seconds they were taking a snap. Boom. 16.4 seconds. Boom. Do that 102 times at a fast pace. It's exhausting. But what Dave Clawson has done there, and I think it's year six under Dave Clawson, it's incredible, man. Look, I was there at the very beginning, and I saw stuff. I saw things. We all have a little bit of trauma from that lingering from those early days. It was bad, man. It was bad. And I, I'm thinking we're seeing the kind of coach he wants to be. We don't know. You don't know when he takes over a program what kind of coach he really is. Here's why. Because he makes the most of what he has. And, God, I love Jim Grobe more than you can understand. But when his time came to leave Wake Forest, that cupboard wasn't bare, dude. The shelves were broken. The doors were ripped off. There was nothing in it, man. It was just cobwebs. And here comes Dave Clawson from the MAC taking over a program that has had really one great year. That magical season of 06, 07, they you know, went to the Orange Bowl. One good year. Not really a lot of football history. Now, they had some good seasons, but not a really good season. They had that one. Here comes Dave Clawson. Probably the best football mind I've ever personally encountered. So detail-oriented. Focuses like n nobody's business. And he works with the players he has, 
at the moment while always looking down the road to what he wants. And what we're seeing now is his vision, his proprietary vision that he probably kept to himself while he's building it because he didn't want to distract from what was going on at the time. They suffered. They suffered. I mean, we think back to that god-awful with the Frank Beamer and the celebrating the 0-0 at the end. I was at that game, man. Whew. But he got him in a bowl game. And, and you got the whole Wakey Leaks thing, which I have to think actually benefited Wake Forest in the long run because it gave them more reason to, to bring things in tighter because Dave, Dave likes to keep things under wraps. But what he's done is incredible. I mean, they lost, and they only fell, they fell six spots. They're number 22. That, that, that's good. Now, they still have Clemson. Imagine if Wake Forest beats Clemson. I mean, anything's, anything's in the realm of possibility right now. Is Dave Clawson National Coach of the Year if they lose only one game? If the only loss they have at the end of the regular season is a 62-59 to 59 defeat to Louisville, is he not only ACC Coach of the Year, I'm talking National Coach of the Year. Now, again, that's down the road. Anything can happen. And then how long do you keep him? I, I think he stays, but do the Southern cows of the world start making overtures to Dave Clawson? I wonder. And then if he were to, and again, we're just chasing rabbits. If he goes to Southern Cal, then we get Mike Leach at Wake Forest. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a square peg in a round hole. Those people there would lose their minds. He's well-read. I mean, that halfway. <laughs> he's, he's a published <laughs> author. Well-read nothing. Well-read, well-written. Could you imagine? <laughs> that would be the most unlikely marriage, maybe. Maybe Mike Leach at BYU would be different. If Mike, or where, I mean, can you think of a more awkward place for Mike Leach to go? I can't. Wake Forest, man. Duke. Duke had Spurrier. They can handle Mike Leach. Chasing rabbits again. Chasing rabbits, not starting rumors. Nicole Arbach joining us at 2.30, but we've got Andrea Adelson from ESPN on the other side. I'm going to throw that Coach of the Year question out there regarding Dave Clawson, Demon Deacons. Might even ask her about Mike Leach. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks you work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show.